0: All right, gents, so we're going to get started this morning. So so here's what I want to do Uh, before we jump into Philippians 3. I just want to like pause for a moment, kind of remind ourselves of where we've been to this point. In chapter 1, Paul, alongside Timothy, is writing to the saints in Philippi, including deacons and overseers, and then in chapter 1, what he does is he thanks the Philippians for their partnership and ministry, he then prays for God's continued work in and through them, and then he provides some level of encouragement because he doesn't want them to be discouraged about his imprisonment. So that's what we see in chapter 1. As we move into chapter 2, what we see then is Paul then pleading for the Philippian church to be a church defined by Christ-like humility, to be the type of people that will, like Christ, not just seek out their own interests, but also the interest of of others. And he then points to Timothy and Epaphroditus as like examples of this, Epaphroditus being one of their own, uh, as examples of this. And so now today as we jump into chapter three, a few more themes are going to become apparent. And uh, if you're taking notes. I'm going to just boil these themes down into three words and then kind of walk through them as we walk through this chapter together. But this would be like, in my opinion, the themes of, wrong, or of Philippians three in one word. So here's, first theme is rejoice, second theme word is goals, and the third theme word is hostility. He says, I was running through Philippians three, those were words that came to my mind, rejoice, goals, and hostility. And I'm just gonna give you uh, my questions uh, right on the front end. We'll get into these uh, at the end. I'll give space for discussion. But these would be the three questions. What does it look like to have your confidence in Christ and not in your flesh? Does your life reflect a confidence of boasting or rejoicing in Christ? And how is this seen? I think that's a key question. How is that even seen in your life? That you'd be rejoicing in Christ and not in your flesh? Question two. Uh, this one was punchy for me. Um, Are the best days of your faith before you or behind you? And why would you say this is true? And then number three, and will it matter if the world is for you or against you? And so those be the questions we get into. Uh, But gents, I I love the way that this Philippian study kind of moves because... uh, Maybe the 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 structure you've gotten accustomed to is typically somebody will teach you a text and then from there you might discuss it and then sometime later you might read it on your own or whatever. But I love how we kind of flip this around. It's like, now first what we want you to do is study the text yourself, then we'll discuss it, then we'll walk through it all together and then give space for discussion again. And what we're trying to do is to teach you how to feed yourself and how to study God's word for yourself. And then for the discussion to be out of an overflow of your own personal deep dive. And so my goal, even now as we walk through Philippians 3, is not to say anything necessarily novel. Hopefully what I say and share with you, you go like, oh, I saw that. But we're just going to walk through Philippians 3 kind of together, and what I want to do is just supplement uh, what you got out of your study uh, with maybe just some commentary, some, some quick thoughts. And so we got those three words. I'll start first with the word rejoice, which is right in verse 1. He says, Philippians 3.1, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. We've been counting this word, you know, how many times it's used as we go along. Over the course of Philippians, either the word rejoice or joy will appear 12 times. 12 times. Right? Rejoice will be seven times, joy will be five times. And I think one of the reasons why it's so significant that this is a key theme, that, that rejoice and joy is like all over this book, is we've got to continue to remember the circumstances of this letter. Paul is in prison, right? So when he's talking about rejoicing, remember Paul is in prison. And remember, too, that when he was in their city about 10 years earlier, where was he? He was put in prison. In fact, him and Silas were beaten in that city. So, so if you remember the context, Philippi, and even at this time, it's not necessarily an easy time to be a Christian. And so when he talks to them about rejoicing, it, it's a good reminder if we just remember the circumstances that our joy in Christ is meant to transcend our circumstances, I think that's a key thing to note here, that joy in Christ is supposed to transcend our circumstances. That's one of the reasons why this is significant. But I think the other reason why this phrase is significant and noteworthy is not just the word rejoice, but note the object of our rejoicing. Keep the phrase together, rejoice in the Lord. He says to write to you again about this is no trouble for me. I've heard uh, recently this quote um, that people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. I think this is one of those times where that's especially true because something like this, that, that we need to, to keep ourselves rooted and anchored in Jesus alone, is so important because it's so foundational and we have this natural tendency to, to drift from this simple and so Paul's going to build on this as he moves into verse 2. Uh, maybe you caught these phrases, right? He says, Watch out for the dogs. And then he, he says some other things. So I just want to, I want to pause for a moment. Um, little Bible background history, if you don't know it. For the Jewish mind, there really are essentially just two groups of people in the world there are the Jews, right? People of God by birth, by God's choosing. And then there's everybody else. You got Jews, and then everybody else is Gentiles. And it was the Jews that often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. You guys remember uh, that that story in the Gospels? It's uh, I think it's Matthew 15 and Mark 7, where a Gentile mother comes before Jesus, and her daughter's demon possessed. Do you remember this interaction? But her daughter's demon possessed. And she comes before Jesus asking for him to heal her. And his response, he's kind of poking at this language that would be common among the Jews. He says, hey, it's, it's not right, though, to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. And her really humble response was just beautiful. She goes, but even the dogs get to lick the crumbs from under the table. And seeing her faith, he heals her daughter, right? This is common language that Jews would have used to refer to Gentiles. And now, like, guys, these are these are fighting words. I mean, this is like the equivalent of dropping like a your mama joke to somebody. Like he's he's coming at them when he drops this line on them. Watch out for the dogs. And the group that he's pointing to are these Judaizers, right? As Paul was helping Gentiles come to know Jesus, they start running around going, I now have relationship with God through Christ. And these Judaizers are going nuts. They're angry about this because they're like, no, 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 that's not how it works. You have to do these things for God to love you. And they're, they're angry. They're up in arms. They're having a cow. And Paul drops, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for these evil workers. Those who want you to obey the law. You are going to hear this through the Judaizer ears, right? Those who want you to obey the law, they're the evildoers. Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. That act of circumcision that was supposed to mean something, Paul's saying it didn't mean anything to them because they never joined that physical act with sincere faith. And so they just, it's mutilation, that's what it is. And these are, these are three very punchy statements. Watch out for the dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. And as Paul is addressing the Philippian church and speaking about that Jewish crowd, what's beautiful here is he's not speaking like an outsider, like one who is envious of the things that they have. He, he knows, I mean, he knows the Jewish world. And that's where, as he walks through this, He's going to kind of pull back like his Jewish trophy room and kind of invite you in for a little bit. I don't know what like the Baptist equivalent would be. I was thinking maybe like the Awana vest. Like that would be the moment here. But but Paul is inviting them into kind of his Jewish trophy room and saying to them, guys, if, 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 if anybody could claim confidence, if anybody could, could before God say, but I did this, 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 and this for you and be approved like the Jews think that people are approved I have that confidence more than anybody else I've been there I've done that and I just want to read two passages just side by side this is really powerful for me But this is right here in Philippians 3 when he says halfway through verse 4 if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh I have more I was out for confidence. I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, and regarding righteousness that is in the law. Blameless. I just took my pen and I circled that word. So it's wild for somebody to say that about themselves, but blameless. So he's walking through that spiritual resume there. Just flip a a few pages here to the right. Go to 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. I just had to take those two passages out and just put them side by side. If right? you want to go through the, the spiritual resume, I can lay it all out there. I, I can do that. And from that perspective, I could, I could claim a level of, of blamelessness. But, but we've totally missed the standard. We've totally misunderstood our depravity. Let me just, this is what is true. I just had to put those side by side. It was a reminder. I think, Jake, I stole this line from you. Then I used it in a message. and Now I might get credit for it, but it was your line, so I'll give you credit for it now. Uh, but, but this goes back to Hebrews where, where it's, we, we said like the hardest people for God to save are those who don't think they need him. Right? The hardest people for God to save are the people who think they don't need him. And that's, that's what Paul is speaking to here is this mindset that can creep in. And we've got to understand this. I think that, that's why this, this word rejoicing in the Lord... It's meant to kind of fix us and recenter us a bit because we have to remember this this foundational truth that only one person who has ever walked this earth in a manner that has won God's approval. Only one person has ever walked this earth in a manner that has won God's approval, and that's Jesus. And there's him, and there's everybody else here. And I think the reason for... Uh, this confidence in the flesh and why it's so dangerous. And I want want you to really hear me on this one. Uh, The reason that this confidence in the flesh is so dangerous is because we we have this natural tendency to drift that way because we have a natural tendency to drift towards what's easy. And it's easy for us to put confidence in the flesh. And here's what I mean. Because I think sometimes we can like chalk faith up as like a cop-out. It's like, no, 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 you don't have to do anything to win God's approval. You just got to Place your faith in Jesus. Like, and then people go, well, that's like the easy way. No, 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 no. It's easier for me to keep a hard heart and then try to cover it up with a bunch of good works. It's easier for me to live a life of compromise and then try to make up the difference by reciting a few prayers, giving a token gift, and serving a few times a month. What's hard is actually humbling myself Surrender myself fully to God, putting my arms out with my hands completely open and then leaving them there and keeping them there forever. That's hard. And if we ever let ourselves slide into neutral, our natural tendency is going to be to pull our hands back and to close our fists up a bit. We always drift towards what's easy. And a religion built on a contractual agreement with God of here's the things I need to do and whatever to make you happy, that is easier than just pure, true, full submission and surrender. Because here I still get some control, and here it's only Jesus. And so we rejoice in the Lord. Paul had burned his trophy room. In fact, he referred to it as, I think in our language, crap. Rejoice in the Lord. Second word I gave you was goals. I'll pick up in verse 10. He says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I might somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus was this motivating factor. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. What I love about Paul and his example here is that his faith didn't make him complacent. Again, this wasn't some simple answer of like, well, I just have, I live by faith and, Grace abounds, so it doesn't mean anything for my life. This this grace that had come into Paul's life was motivating him, had lit a fire in him of, of pursuit and desire because Paul knows where true life is found and he knows that every compromise, any turning away from Jesus, he'll regret. Guys, do you, do you recognize that? Like any time you choose to compromise, you'll you'll always regret it. There's never been one time in my life I've ever compromised in my pursuit of Jesus and thought it was worth it. But I love how Paul's faith, it doesn't make him complacent. In fact, what I love most about these verses here, verses 10 through 15, is in particular Paul's posture. I read this with my kids just a couple of nights ago. We just were walking through Philippians 3 together and I I kind of acted this out for them so that they could kind of connect this. And so, Nathan, you could imagine Caden and Jacoby and Trevor and Bailey kind of sitting there with me as we we're talking through this. And I said, as you read this passage, do you imagine like Paul's posture being, you know, and like you do the dramatic like leg out on the couch, like super slouched, you know, or do you, or do you envision, you know, something else? And that, like Jacoby kind of got to the edge of the seat, you know, and, and you know, he's, he's, he's just ready. You know, because he's not looking back, he's looking forward, he's, he's pressing on, there's an eagerness here to, to Paul, that, how, you know, that, that verse 10, my goal is to know him. Gentlemen, what's your posture this morning? What Paul's was, my, my goal is to know him, that's the goal of his life. I'd ask you, what is the goal of your life? What do you want more than anything else? My goal is to know him and the the power of his resurrection. And and that was both future, but it was also now, right? That if the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive in me. I I want to know him and the the power of the resurrection and the power of the spirits working in my life. I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. As I go out as a bold witness of Christ and experience rejection, it helps me know him more. I found that to be true in my life, that the more I'm obeying Jesus, the more people treat me and reject me like Jesus, the more I, I know him. The more I come to know him. I want to know him. I think one of the lies that this, tr- this, this text is addressing And this is, I mean, I think more I say this from like an American evangelical Christianity side of things. Um, I think one of the lies that this text is addressing is the American Christianity that is so um, past accomplishments looking, uh, I prayed a prayer once looking, uh, past love looking type faith that we have. I think this text is addressing that And and it's trying to call out the lie that that is. I run into so many people, even within our own church, that when I talk to them about their love for Jesus, they'll talk about, oh, when I was in college, or before we had kids, or like they, they start describing like, well, I prayed a prayer once. And my question in that is, yeah, but what is your love for Jesus today? Right? Don't you feel like that's true? Like we are such a a past looking, past accomplishment looking, past love looking church environment and i love paul's posture here i forget what is behind it's not to say like that i lacked confidence that i knew jesus the other day or whatever like i'm just not going to hang my hat on yesterday's love for god forgetting what's behind i i press on to take hold of christ because he's taken hold of me and that's where that question comes from gentlemen are your best days of faith behind you before you think there's far too many walking around in our midst and even this morning you realize you've been content for far too long to live on a past love for God that isn't fresh today what is your love for Jesus this morning what will it be tomorrow love Paul's posture. I love his pursuit. And so that, that was that second question. Are the best days of your faith before you or behind you? And why would you say this is true? And then the last question I threw out, this goes with the final word of hostility, is and will it matter if the world is for you or against you? Gentlemen, the world is not going to be your accountability partner in your pursuit of Jesus. They're not. And maybe that was part of your life for a while, you know, where the natural push of those around you just seemed to kind of encourage you toward Jesus all the time. But I think we need to understand what what Jesus promised us is he said, boys, you're going to have trouble in this world. If they treated me like this, they're going to treat you like this. Or as Paul says to the Philippians here, Verse 18, for I have often told you and now say again with tears, with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Many live as enemies of the cross. And so I think this final word for us of hostility, we need to really take in. I don't know if you've had these conversations lately. I've I've had them a bunch, but with fellow believers who are really discouraged over the state of our world right now and particularly over America. And the conversation often kind of goes to um, this fear because they, they, there's, there's movements maybe at work, you know, of, of America moving to this like post-truth, like really polarizing, like you got to figure out who your groups are and then we're going to divide. And, and uh, post-Christian nation, which, you know, if you've been around Christianity for a while, we've been getting those warnings that America's the next Europe, all that stuff for, I mean, I've been reading that since I was in college. But in this moment that we're living in, there's a lot of fear. Is, is that happening? Even last week, uh, I was reading an article that was put out by the Barna Group, you know, who does a lot of like church surveys and, and kind of like, watches the landscape of our land. And one of the numbers they put out there is that since COVID hit, and churches have had to like, either shut down or close and go to online services or all that, that one-third of church participants have stopped participating since last March. And again, in these conversations, when stuff like that gets brought up, you know, it's like, gosh, I, like is American Christianity is it, is it dying? And I, I my honest thought is, that I like, I'm like, I think actually the bubble's just being popped right now. Like that that third, I, I go, I think that just kind of shows where people were genuinely at, probably. But regardless, regardless, I set that aside because I don't know what the future holds, and I'm not that smart to understand the moment I'm living in, but. But let me just ask you this simply. If the landscape is changing, if you knew this morning that yesterday was the easiest day you'll ever have for pursuing Jesus, and each day from this point forward is going to get harder, and you're going to face greater and greater hostility every day forward until you die, would that change the trajectory of your faith? Would that even matter? Because when I stop and I think back on Philippians, like the whole book that we've read so far, and ask that question and think, what would Paul say to that? If that same question was put toward Paul, I think this is what he would say. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 3.10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship and sharing in his sufferings. I think he'd tell them, this is verse 19 of chapter 3, that those enemies, that their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord. So those three words I put before you, rejoice, goals, hostility, I think tie in then well with these questions that I put before you already, now I give to you for your groups to discuss. Um, all three are important, but make sure you, you get to all three before you walk out today. And so, uh, gentlemen, again, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy your time of discussion and uh, prayer for each other.